The book of the prophet Habakkuk. He lived during the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom, and it was a time of injustice and idolatry. He saw the rising threat of Babylon on the horizon, and that was not good news for anybody. But unlike the other prophets, Habakkuk does not accuse Israel. He doesn't even speak on God's behalf to the people. Rather, all of his words are addressed personally to God. And the book tells about Habakkuk's personal struggle, his journey of trying to believe that God is good when there is so much evil and tragedy in the world. And so Habakkuk's words are actually poems of lament, and they're very similar to the laments that you find in the book of Psalms. The poet lodges a complaint and then draws God's attention to suffering or injustice in the world, demanding that God do something. And knowing about this lament form, it's actually the key to understanding the design and message of this short book. Chapters 1 and 2 are framed as a back-and-forth argument between Habakkuk and God. And the prophet lodges two complaints to which God offers two responses. His first complaint is that life in Israel has become horrible. The Torah is neglected, resulting in violence and injustice, and it's all being tolerated by Israel's corrupt leaders. And Habakkuk, he's crying out, asking God to do something, but nothing seems to change. But then all of a sudden, God responds. He says that he's very aware of the corruption of his own people, Israel, and that he's summoning the armies of Babylon to bring down his justice on Israel. And very similar to the message of Micah or Isaiah, God says he will use this terrifying empire to devour Israel because of their injustice and evil. But Habakkuk has a problem with this answer, and so he offers his second complaint. He says Babylon is even worse than Israel. They're more corrupt. They're more violent. They've deified their own military power. They treat humans like animals, gathering them up like fish in a net, he says. They devour nations and people groups in order to build their own empire. And so Habakkuk says, how can you, a holy, good God, use such corrupt nations as your instruments in history? He demands an explanation. In fact, he depicts himself as a watchman on the city walls waiting for God's response, which eventually comes. God tells Habakkuk to get out some tablets and chisel and write down what he sees and hears. It's a vision about an appointed time in the future that even though it may seem slow in coming, it will eventually come. In fact, God says that the righteous person will live by their faith in this hope and vision. So what is this divine promise that Habakkuk is supposed to write down? It's that God will bring Babylon down. God says that the violence and oppression of the nations creates this never-ending cycle of revenge and that God will use this cycle to bring about the rise and fall of nations. And the fact that God might for a time use a corrupt nation like Babylon does not mean that he endorses everything that they do. He holds all nations accountable to his justice. And so Babylon will fall along with any other nation that acts like them. God's promise is then elaborated by a series of five woes that describe the kinds of oppression and injustice that's perpetrated by nations like Babylon. The first two target unjust economic practices, like how wealthy people will charge ridiculous interest just to keep poor people in debt, and so they build their wealth through crooked means. The third woe is a critique of slave labor, treating humans like animals and threatening them with violence if they don't produce. The fourth woe targets the abuse of alcohol by irresponsible leaders. While people are suffering under their bad leadership, they're partying and wasting their money on sex and booze. 
And the last woe exposes the idolatry, the engine that drives such nations. They have made money and power and national security into their gods, offering these allegiance at all costs. And so people become slaves to their own national empire. Now, the practices described here aren't unique to Babylon, but that's part of the point. Given the human condition, most nations eventually become Babylon. And so this is how God's answer to Habakkuk in this book becomes God's answer to all later generations, to anyone who lives in a world ruled by other Babylons. But it leaves the question hanging. Is God going to let this cycle, the rise and fall of Babylon-like empires, go on forever? And that question is what chapter 3 is about. We're told that this is a prayer of Habakkuk, and it begins by Habakkuk pleading with God to act now in the present like he has in the past in bringing down corrupt nations. And what follows is a very ancient poem. It first describes a powerful, terrifying appearance of God. It's very similar to the opening poems of Micah and Nahum and similar to the appearance of God at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. There's cloud and fire and earthquake. When the creator shows up to confront human evil, everybody will be paying attention. Habakkuk then goes on to describe this future defeat of evil as a future exodus. So just like God came as a warrior and he split the sea in his battle against Pharaoh, Habakkuk says that God will once more bring his judgment down on the head of the evil house. So Pharaoh, like Babylon, has become here an archetype of violent human nations. But at the same time, we're told that when God confronts evil, he will save his people and his anointed one. It's a reference to the king from the line of David. And so in this poem, the Exodus story of the past has become an image of the future Exodus God will perform. He will once again defeat evil and bring down the pharaohs and the Babylons of this world. He'll bring justice to all people and rescue the oppressed and the innocent. And it's this hope that enables Habakkuk to conclude the book with hopeful praise. Even if the world's falling apart with food shortage or drought or war or whatever, he will choose trust and joy in the covenant promises of God. And so Habakkuk, by the end of this book, becomes a shining example of how the righteous live by faith. Habakkuk recognizes just how dark and chaotic the world and our lives can become, and he invites us into a journey of faith, of trusting that God loves this world more than we do, and that he will one day deal with its evil. And that's what the book of Habakkuk is all about. We saw recently in the Bible project the excellent uh, description of the narrative of the book of Habakkuk as it uh, was meaningful for those days, a long, long time ago. What we are going to do today as we enter into our message from the book of Habakkuk is to imagine Habakkuk living in the U.S. in 2020. The question is, what would he say and write in response to our situation? Uh, The book starts, and that's what we are going to do, uh, to see how Habakkuk, on the one hand, faces the reality of his own society. He looks at the face of his own society and is uh, deeply bothered by the things that he sees every day. So obviously this was a a long period of time that he was struggling with that reality. On the other hand, 
Uh, Habakkuk is willing to ask extremely difficult questions, or complaints, or cries of despair to God. And later on, he has to struggle with the answers God gives him. So, looks at the face of his own society. He's willing to ask extremely difficult questions. And at the end, uh, Habakkuk prays with deeply felt horror and profound trust. Uh, as contradictory as that may sound, uh, to God. So let's uh, do this <coughs> imaginative exercise. I'm trying to, to think what would the Habakkuk would say about our own present society as he looked at his own society. And as we said, the first thing that Habakkuk does is to observe right in the face the violent nature of his society. Words that are repeated again and again in the, in the book. He opens uh, with those words, how long, Lord, must I call for help but you do not listen? or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is a strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. That is diagnosis of his own days. Violence was rampant and out of control. Injustice was uh, all over the place and, and the law seemed to be helpless to, to do something about that situation. Those were people, those were a culture as God is going to describe and later on Habakkuk is going to agree that those were people whose own strength is their God. 110, 111. And later on, uh, Habakkuk says uh, about this uh, society that sacrificed to his net and burns incest to his dragnet. In other words, uh, what is uh, shocking for, for Habakkuk is the fact that they have divinized uh, violence as a high value, as something to be proud of in those days. It was that kind of society in which violence was a high value and justice, strife prevailed and abounded in that society. And that was so bothering that to the prophet that he comes directly to that once again and again and again without any answer. Habakkuk uh, in our old days. What would be some of the examples of violence in our society? I think that uh, we can use uh, Matthew 25 as, a, as an example of, of the kind of society and, and violence that uh, uh, Habakkuk would found, find in, a, in our own society and denounce uh, as strongly or if not more 
than he did of his own society. So thinking about Matthew 25, I was hungry, I was thirsty. And Habakkuk would say, but your gospel of prosperity condemns me as lazy and entitled, and you just look to the other side. Yes, I was hungry and thirsty, but you look to the other side. I was an immigrant, and you put my children in cages and separated them from their fathers and mothers, never to be reunited again. You even sterilized many women detained in your concentration camps. And because of my religion, you should your doors in my face. I needed clothes and a roof because I lost my job to, to COVID. But your Congress delayed and denied support to keep my family fed and protected. I was sick, contracted COVID, and without medical insurance, while you enjoyed a privileged life. I was in prison because of the new Jim Crow that saturated prisons with Afro-Americans and Latinos, while you enjoy all the privilege of the dominant culture. Those are examples of that kind of violence that prevails in our own society. Without mentioning the, the criminality that we see in our streets, the shootings and, uh, and the use, uh, the wide use of drugs all over our cities uh, that are capturing our, our children without being able to do much about it. But that will be the kind of complain that probably Habakkuk will present before God. No doubt, we are like the society that Habakkuk saw, a society which divinizes violence, that feels very much at home in a society in which that is the, the dominant value of our culture. Of course, Habakkuk questioned that reality. He was willing to ask extremely difficult questions, express as complaints, as cries of despair to God. And later on, he had to struggle with the answers that God gave him. How long, oh Lord, will I be crying for justice? Why? 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 We hear that three times in, in, in the book without the uh, answer. And at the heart of Habakkuk's complaint is a basic moral question. The initial questions have to do with a fundamental morality in the face of violence. How can God tolerate injustice and violence? How can we? And as we saw before, God responds saying that he, as the moral judge of the universe, is going to punish his own people. And he's going to use the dominant empire in those days, the Babylonians, to punish his people. And in that going back and forth of 
of uh, Habakkuk saying, well, how can you use such a, an unjust and cruel people that compared to them, we are an innocent uh, nation? How can you do that? And, uh, and God responds, responds that, that saying that uh, he's going also to, to punish that powerful empire and that uh, injustice will not uh, prevail in his world. He is present in history and he's going to do something about it. And of course, we cannot read historic events with the precision and certainty that uh, Habakkuk did in his own days when he was looking ahead at the invasion, occupation that the Babylonians were going to do in his own land and all the devastation and destruction that was that, that was going to mean for, for everybody. Uh, as far as we know, we are not facing some kind of a political invasion or, or dominion from a, from a foreign country. But, uh, but still, we are again and again under the need to, to interpret and to read the signs of our own times that indicate in many ways that the world as we knew it will not come back. In many ways, we are expressing a requiem for the American dream. And that is a, a reality. What is going on today? And of course, beyond conspiracy theories and apocalyptic interpretations of our present days, I just want to call to your attention the reality of a pandemic that just in our country, as you know, and those numbers keep just growing and growing day after day, uh, we have almost 12 and a half millions of people that have contracted the virus, the coronavirus, and around 260,000 deaths that keep we keep counting now by, by thousands every day, growing and growing and growing. That, when we stop to think about the numbers, the number of dead people because of that virus, it's just staggering. It's just beyond our comprehension of what that means. It's like if one of our states was completely erased from the US map and, and people, people are gone there. Of course, the pandemic, as we all know, has brought unemployment, economic recession, and, and that is really affecting the heart of, of our own society as, as it is happening everywhere in the world. But, but just think in terms of the effects of that pandemic, of that enemy that has invaded our land as all the world and is creating a situation never seen or heard in, in our own country. A country that supposedly was safe and, and beyond all kinds of uh, dangers, suddenly we are facing very bleak and difficult times. Unemployment, the number of people who have been evicted from their homes because they were renting and 
no longer have a job and no longer have the money to pay rent and they are being evicted from their homes. It counts already in millions of people. The hunger that is part of our reality, it has been for, for many, many years, but we just don't want to see it, but now it's more evident. Uh, the long lines of people that are waiting to receive food, to, to bring something to the table in their own homes. And all the effects of that uh, in terms of the rise of criminality in our cities, as we have seen in, in Grand Rapids. Uh, another effect that, that is happening from the last, uh, at least the last decade or, or more, but that has increased in many ways in the last uh, few years, is the exodus that in our churches we are seeing mostly from young people leaving our churches because of the support and complicity with systems of injustice and violence that most adults support uh, and mostly against minorities and, and God's creation. Young people are not happy with what we have been doing with creation, with minorities, uh, and many times in the name of our of our faith. They are leaving our churches and secularization is increasing in very significant ways. In one of the most religious countries in the world, now we are moving steadily into generations of people with our faith. All these situations in many ways are signs of deep distress and probably Habakkuk will see that reality and say, how long, Lord, will you be watching all this uh, violence in our country without doing anything? At the end, uh, last chapter of uh, Habakkuk, uh, he prays with deeply felt horror, but at the same time, a profound trust in God. Two moments in the prayer that seem to be running parallel one and the other in, in a very significant way. Uh, let me just pick uh, a few verses from chapter three. Three, two. At the end of this uh, verse, uh, Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them new, known. In wrath, remember mercy. These are very important words. In wrath, remember mercy. If we are experiencing in some ways, a deep moment of crisis, a huge crisis in our country. And we try to see that as a, a manifestation of, of God's wrath. In some way, he's calling our attention. He wants us to hear clearly what he has to say to us. Wrath, in the context of uh, Habakkuk, 
is a term that refers to God's punishment in harsh ways. Uh, the context makes it very clear. God is punishing Israel. God is going to punish also uh, Babylon because both cultures have divinized violence and military power as, as their gods. And God is not happy with that because people are suffering because of it and intervenes with a severe judgment upon those nations. But in the middle of that uh, deep crisis, Habakkuk prays in wrath, remember mercy. Because mercy is God's intervention to make punishment tolerable or to end it before time. It's a, an acknowledgement that yes, we deserve what we are suffering, but at the same time, have mercy on us. We just appeal to your mercy because there's nothing else we can appeal to. At the end, the second moment in this prayer, uh, starting in verse 16, we read these words. I heard about the judgment coming and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet, yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me feel like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. In those moments when we don't see with our own eyes, the evidence of God's blessings to us. That's the moment when we are called to express our faith, even when we don't see those tangible signs of, of God's presence. Yes, in the answer, absence of that, faith can overcome that reality and say, yes. The sovereign Lord is my strength. I yet even I will rejoice in the Lord because he is with me. Uh, yes, we are called in moments of crisis as the one that we are living in a country that has uh, divinized uh, violence. Uh, we are called to understand that God's judgment uh, comes when we fail him. But even in the midst of the judgment, we can always claim for God's mercy and say, as the prophet Habakkuk said, I know judgment is upon us.
or in the midst of your wrath, remember mercy. Even when we don't see the signs of your grace in this world, let us help, help us to remember that the sovereign Lord is our strength and we will be able to rejoice in the Lord. I hope these reflections help you to appropriate the message of Habakkuk for yourself. To see what it means, Habakkuk, in which ways Habakkuk speaks to, to us. And I hope that you will come as Habakkuk and as I have don't come to the same conclusion of saying, even in the worst of times and crises, we can rejoice in the Lord because the sovereign Lord is our strength. May the Lord bless you. Amen.